0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold.
1: Dorcas Chang, Tozen, welcome to Viral
2: Jesus. I don't understand how we can expect one another to have a clear, coherent, comprehensive, and very wise statement on something that has happened, you know, within 24 hours for us to be able to say something when it has thousands of years of history context to it. Right. And people spend an entire lifetime studying (laughs) the dynamics of politics and sociology and societies and who are we And, and so i do think that there is a very appropriate level of humility that we should come to social media with
1: from christianity today this is viral jesus a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Hello, I hope you are doing well. I won't be doing... Another Thursday episode until after Thanksgiving. So, can I just wish you a happy Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving, by the way, for me is my favorite holiday. So, you know, while you're at your Thanksgiving table, just know as you're sitting there, I want you to think, man, this is it. This is Heather's special day. (laughs) Because it is. Our Thursday shows will be on a two week break till December 7th. Don't worry. I will keep whispering encouragement in your ear every Monday for the rest of 2023. So we will still get together for our weekly meditation and devotional thoughts, but our weekly conversations will be on hiatus till December 7. So mark it in your calendar so you remember December 7. We are back, baby, with our Thursday conversations. I wanted to focus on giving and others. As we're entering into the holiday season, as we're entering into Thanksgiving. So today's episode, we are talking with Dorcas chang about social justice and how we can care for people in our communities this holiday season. But before we do that, we are going to do a little bit of a different safe space today. November is National Adoption Month, and I wanted to invite someone on into our safe space where we could be reminded as Christians this holiday season about children who don't have homes and families to go to this Thanksgiving. James one twenty seven is a specific call to action for Christians to serve the least of these with over 140 million orphans worldwide and an additional 149 million children in need of humanitarian assistance, it is more urgent than ever for believers to practically live out this mandate. So for today on Safe Space, I want to talk to Herbie Newell. He's president and executive director of Lifeline Children's Services. It's the largest evangelical adoption agency in the country. And he has a special burden for vulnerable children. Herbie, I wanted you to share with us how we as Christians can obey Jesus's command in James 127 and get involved in caring for children this National Adoption Month.
3: Yeah, Heather, certainly we as believers have been called through God's word to do something tangible emotionally, physically, and spiritually for the most needy in the world. And there really are none that are any more needy than orphan and vulnerable children. And so as the church, we're called to care with compassion. We're called to get engaged and to be inconvenienced in our time and our treasure and our gifts ultimately, to help a child experience life to the fullest. And so what I would just encourage believers on this National Adoption Month to do is to first start with wrestling and prayer for those that are vulnerable in their community, for the vulnerable woman, for the vulnerable child, for the vulnerable family. You know, we have a God that says he listens when we pray. He taught us to pray, hey, your kingdom come on earth as it is Mm. in heaven. We need to ask that the kingdom of the Lord would be known to the most vulnerable in our communities, that the love and the light and the delight of the Lord would be known to their hearts and their minds. My sweet wife, Ashley, reminded me several years ago, as we were actually putting our children to bed and praying for them and over them, when she said, who is praying for the 140 million orphans and vulnerable children in the world? Hmm. Church, I know it's trite. I know it might be easy, but the first thing that we can do is pray. But the second thing that we need to do is is to speak up and to speak up for those that can't speak for themselves. And again, children are one of those populations that are voiceless, they they don't have the positions, they don't have the authority, they don't have the background to be able to speak for themselves. And so the 140 million orphans around the world don't have a platform by which to advocate for themselves. And so as believers, we need to speak up for them. We need to speak up for their protection. We need to speak up for their provision. And we need to speak up that the light of the gospel would be made known to them where they are around the world or here at home in the United States. But then the second thing, and again, these get progressively more engaged and more involved, is we need to give. Give of our time. Give of our talent. Give of our ability. You know, one of the things that we see even here in the U.S., is that of the children that are in foster care today, 75% of them had a parent that was in foster care in a past generation? Mm. And so if we don't speak up and use our resources and our God given talents to really help those children right here in US foster care be able to find their purpose, to find their potential, and find their God given ability, then they're just going to be repopulating the foster care for the next generation. So we need to get engaged. And then, of course, as always, we. We can step up and say, I'm going to wrap my life and my family around a child that's that's in a vulnerable place by becoming a foster parent or by bringing that child in as a child of mine through adoption. And so, you know, through praying, through speaking up, through giving of our time, talent, and ability, and then ultimately through, through adoption and foster care, these are all ways that we can get engaged and still. There's so many other ways that we can get engaged this National Adoption and Foster Care Month by supporting those families who've been called to adopt into foster care. In a sense, to be like Aaron and her in the wilderness, propping up the arms of Moses as we prop up these families who've been called to intentionally adopt, get engaged, and get involved. And then last but certainly not least, Heather, as a pro-life generation, as a pro-life people, we need to be as pro-woman as we are pro-child. And we need to speak up for these women who are going through difficult situations who have unwanted pregnancies who may even be at a place where they they regret to a point that they're looking at deadly permanent opportunities to to get rid of their pregnancy through chemical or medical abortion. We need to stand up for them, advocate for them, show love to them and help them to see that that life is meant for them as much as life is meant for their child.
1: Herbie, thank you so much for joining us on this safe space during National Adoption Month. And everybody listening, I want you to know I'm going to have links in the show notes that you can connect and get more involved. Thank you so much. Thank you, Heather. I am excited to introduce you to Dorcas Chang-Tosin in our conversation today. Dorcas Chang-Tosin, she's an award-winning author and writer whose work with various nonprofits, social enterprises, and faith-based organizations has given her opportunity to engage with a broad range of social issues towards solutions in the areas of homelessness, affordable housing, energy access, youth leadership, HIV-AIDS, and international development. She lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her social entrepreneur husband and two young sons. I was so excited about Dorcas's book, and when I saw it, I I had to ask her to come on and sit down with me. I think I know you, and I have my finger on the types of conversations you enjoy, and I thought this would be the perfect way to transition into the holidays and just having a more charitable spirit. Her most recent book get this, this is what I think you're going to like, is Social Justice for the Sensitive Soul. Social Justice for the Sensitive Soul. Here's the subtitle. How to Change the World in Quiet Ways. I just loved that and I thought you would love it too. So here is my conversation with Dorcas Chang Tozen. So I like to do a little social media digging before I sit down with somebody. And I wanted to share a post, Dorcas, that you wrote. This is actually from your caption. Here's the caption. Mm -hmm. You said this. It's on Instagram, by the way. You've probably noticed that the world is full of angry people nowadays. There are many reasons to be angry at the same time. When we direct that anger at each other, I like this, rather than the systems, institutions, policies, laws, beliefs, traditions, histories, and narratives that are at the root of inequity and injustice, we risk greater stagnation of pushing each other further away into our own corners and safe silos. Talk to me about how we can appropriately channel anger. Yeah.
2: Well, as I said, there are a lot of good reasons to be angry. It's understandable why people get angry, and sometimes it's very appropriate. At the same time, I think that... It becomes risky when anger itself becomes the fuel that keeps us going, Mm. right? So it's an appropriate initial response. It actually can move us toward action, which is great, you know, move us toward speaking up, stepping out, moving into spaces that maybe we previously wouldn't have thought to go into. Um, But once we're there, I don't think that anger is what we can rely on because I see it as this blunt instrument that causes a lot of collateral damage. Mm-hmm. It is very easy to let anger push out love, compassion, empathy, right? Which um, which ultimately is where we want to act out of, what we want to rely on if we are truly in the work of wanting to change people's minds and change people's mm-hmm. actions.
1: Actually, that's a great way to even talk about it, because especially as it relates to social justice, which we're going to talk about in a second. If we are responding to people with anger, how is that a great motivator or persuader in getting people
2: to see what you're trying to get them to say?
1: You know, so that's a great point for you to bring out.
2: Yes, people, it, it is a very natural human reaction to want right. to shut down. When somebody approaches you with anger or with uh, words, actions that that shame you or belittle you or make you feel like you've done something wrong, it just closes down the conversation. Whereas I think our hope is really to open up yeah. the connection, open up the conversation, and and create a space where it feels like we can truly dialogue and try to understand one another.
1: When I'm talking to students about what to do before they have a crucial conversation, as we call them, with a roommate or a parent, I always tell them before you walk in that room, think of three things and just say them out loud to your brain, three things that you really love or like about Mm -hmm. that person. And it will change the way you walk into that conversation to remind your own brain, I don't actually hate you. I really dislike this thing. Or we have to talk Mm -hmm. about this conflict. But I, I still love you and value the relationship. You wrote an article for Christianity Today called, Some of my social justice allies are terrifying and I value them for it. I'm going to read your first line and then I want you to tell us what it says in that article. Your first line says this, in almost every nonprofit or social enterprise job I've had, at least one coworker terrified me. Why is that? <laughs>
2: So that is actually an excerpt from my book the whole the whole piece is an excerpt from my book but uh well it speaks to my personality and kind of how I'm wired as well as I would say the greater nonprofit injustice space so I am mm. a person um which 20% up to even 30% of the population is and that means that we process things on a deeper level, we feel things on a deeper level, the stimuli that comes at us through our senses, we actually experience it more intensely than your typical Non sensitive person. Mm-hmm. And and so when interacting with other people, um, it is easier for a highly sensitive person to take things personally or to um, get our feelings hurt or just to kind of absorb the intense emotions. So in, in the nonprofit space, in justice space, there are a lot of people, wonderful people, who care so deeply right. about the issues that we're working on. They're so passionate. And I think that that passion carries over sometimes into their interactions with their colleagues right and so because they care so deeply about it then they want to make sure that we get it right or they want to you know question what we're doing to to ensure that that it is the most effective path forward and um and how they do that can sometimes come across pretty um emotional or mm. or just really, really strong emotions behind it. And I think when I was younger, and to some extent, it's something I still struggle with, but I would um, receive that emotion as directed toward me. And and I would then feel like they were being very critical of me when ultimately they were trying to push me to a higher standard and a higher quality of output. Um, and so I say that I really appreciate working with people who are really different from me, who've really challenged me because I have learned so much from them. I have grown in my own ability to kind of tolerate and be around people of high passion, high intensity, um, which I think you just kind of need to be around people like that. Uh, they, they are very inspiring. There is a lot that they can get done. And so I'm grateful for the ways in which they have challenged me and pushed me to see things differently and to try to do better.
1: What is some of the strategies that you use personally when you're in some type of conversation? Again, we'll call it a crucial conversation like that Mm -hmm. where somebody has high emotions. And I, I can just think of so many people who kind of shut down. Yeah. In the face of that, what would you say to somebody who's like, oh my goodness, that's me, I'm super sensitive, and then I struggle to even hear Mm -hmm. what somebody's saying because my brain is just like, oh my goodness, why are they so aggressive right now?
2: Yeah, yeah. It can be super overwhelming. Uh, You know, in the moment, it's not easy, and I would say... For one thing, just to give yourself a lot of grace, to know that it is perfectly normal, that some people just need longer to process. Uh, There are those folks who can come up with their responses right away and know exactly what to say. And then there are plenty of us. uh, So I would throw introverts in that as well. It's not Mm -hmm. just highly sensitive people who you just need a little bit longer to think. And so I think that it's very appropriate um, in a personal or professional conversation to say, that's a great point. Can I have some time to think about it and get back to you if you feel like you you don't quite know how to process it in that moment you don't quite know how to respond it's okay to ask for a little bit of time it's okay also to ask questions I find it helpful to to kind of diffuse that emotion a little bit by asking questions by expressing affirmation because that sort of just helps the other person settle A little bit. Uh And when people feel like they're being heard, when they're being affirmed, when you're wanting to understand them better, it can take some of that high emotion out of it. Or, you know, just making the observation of, like, hey, it sounds like you feel really strongly about this. Can (laughs) you understand why? Instead of, I think, jumping to conclusions of, like, oh my gosh, is this person super upset with me? Or did I do something wrong? Right. Like, just be willing to go there and clear the air because. Oftentimes, maybe not always, but oftentimes it is the case that it's not necessarily about you, right? It's something about what the other person is thinking or feeling or what they may have experienced.
1: Your book is titled Social Justice for the Sensitive Soul. I absolutely love that title. How do you define social justice in the book and as we start navigating this conversation together?
2: Yeah. So social justice is just the objective of wanting to move toward a fairer, more equal society where people are acknowledged and heard and have opportunities and access and rights. Equally, regardless of who they are, they're able to live with dignity and safety and health and the opportunities that they need to thrive.
1: So even just hearing you say it back to me, Mm -hmm. why is this term controversial at all? Are you privy to those conversations with people who are like, ah, I don't want to hear any of that social justice stuff? What is the pushback that people have to what you just said?
2: Yeah, I don't know that the pushback is to the definition itself, right? I think it may be the term. And and it's probably more of the the baggage or the associations mm. that have come to be with that term. I think we may associate it with a particular political party Right with a particular way of thinking, with a particular way of acting. I actually do feel like it ties in with one of the major points of my book, which is that there is a specific kind of activist culture, Right, if we talk about social activists, social activism, hmm. there is a particular kind of activist culture, regardless of which end of the political spectrum you're on. It actually looks a little bit similar. Um, that has developed uh, in recent years that I don't think is um, very healthy and not necessarily very appealing to the mainstream in terms of there is a lot of anger. This is where we started our conversation, Mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of resentment. There's bitterness. There is a lot of othering. The people who see differently from you, who believe differently from you, who you see as from a different background or, or class or ethnic group. And so when we we see activists who are acting out of a place of anger and resentment again understandable but not a healthy place to be and not an effective way Mm -hmm. of operating it pushes people away and it it makes them think that well you know justice social justice is all about really angry people yelling at me
3: and Mm. blaming
2: me for society's problems, and it just makes me feel really bad. And that doesn't seem like the kind of community I want to be a part of, right? And and yeah. I think that that the challenge of the true definition of social justice is that it is about that dignity and that equality for everybody Mm. even the people you don't like yeah even the people you don't just don't agree with you know even the people who come from a very different background from you we should truly desire that sense of dignity and safety and flourishing for everybody and so that's why it makes a lot more sense to come from a place of love and compassion and gentleness because your hope is to bring people in as opposed to pushing them away.
1: And you've spent a lot of time working in these types of environments and nonprofits. As you're saying it to me, my brain just immediately thinks, wow, dignity and right to life and the ability to be seen and valued. That to me sounds very Christian. Yes. (laughs) Are there a lot of Christians in these spaces or is it not? How would you describe at least the places you've worked?
2: Well, so in the spaces I've worked, sadly, there is a fairly significant divide. So I've been fortunate in that I work for a Christian nonprofit now that has very strong value for justice. Uh, I work, I previously worked at my church, which also you know very very much values justice okay. i actually had the title of compassion coordinator which i think is like the best title ever and so there are there are absolutely pockets of of christians who are very very active in justice spaces but i don't know that they mm. interact very much with yes, the kind of broader progressive justice spaces that we see that do tend to be a lot more secular. Um, I think that there is a mistrust I have found in a lot of those places towards Christians because of what has been in the news, right? What they've seen since at least the 90s of a very strong emphasis on individualism on the nuclear family and those those rights and values Mm. which aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves but it's been at the cost of considering the welfare of the entire society right or there's been at least you know in some of the christian circles i've been in there's a very strong ethic around personal responsibility right if if your life's not going well Mm -hmm then you must have done something wrong and you need to fix it. And there isn't this same sense of hmm. social responsibility, of being grateful for one another, of caring for one another. And then certainly, you know, there have been those hot button issues that continue to divide us on a national level. Right. Yeah. Abortion, you know, gay rights like those. Those are huge issues issues that I do think, again, on both sides of the political spectrum, I think we have been a little bit too harsh in our applications of these sort of litmus tests of if you don't agree with me on these 100 issues, then I can't even talk to you. I can't work with you. I can't collaborate with you. And I think that's a pretty... High and unrealistic bar. There are not going to be a lot of people mm. who agree with one another on one hundred social issues, right? Yeah. Um, so, just in the last year, I encountered a wonderful group called Women of Welcome, which you may have heard of. They act yes. immigrants, right? And um, and getting women involved in in supporting immigrants and refugees. And I had the pleasure of speaking with their executive director, and she was really great at articulating, you know, the focus of our organization is immigration and we want to work with people across the political spectrum. We understand that there are places where we may disagree with one another and that's okay because yeah. we we still can partner together on this issue of immigration, and who knows what other doors that may open, right? Mm -hmm, Once mm -hmm. you develop this trust, this friendship, this partnership, I think that that can lead to many other opportunities. But first we gotta take that step of, okay, I don't see eye to eye with you on everything, But I trust that you Mm -hmm. are a person who is trying to do your best in this world, that your understanding of what is is good for people, you know, there are more similarities than differences between us. And so we can work with that.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, You partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today.
1: Thoughts on how social media has kind of, in a lot of ways, demanded everybody Mm -hmm. (laughs) to get involved in social justice in some way. And what I mean by that is you have to make a statement, right? Whatever the hot topic is culturally at that time, there is this expectation of people who perhaps have zero... Understanding or background or history of whatever that topic is, you are expected to make a statement. What are your thoughts on that? And is it bad for people to feel like I'm not educated enough on this topic to even say, I mean, if it was, if we were all in a room, right? I wouldn't raise my hand on some of the topics that are popular and say, I have thoughts on this because I don't know. I'm not educated on it, right? And yet Mm -hmm. online, everybody is expected to be a focal piece or a centerpiece on every single conversation. What are your thoughts on just how social media has changed that
2: as it relates to justice? I don't think it's been a healthy trend. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think that, well, for one thing, social media in and of itself, right, as a medium, as a place primarily for these little sound bites, little nuggets, mm. right, of two, three, four sentences. I mean, as you and I are talking, right, there's the conflict happening in the Middle East. Yes. And you think about the history between Jews and Arabs. This is right. thousands of years of history. I don't understand how we can expect one another to have a clear, coherent Comprehensive and very wise statement yeah. on something that has happened, you know, within 24 hours for us to be able to say something when it has thousands right. of years of history context to it, right? And people spend an entire lifetime studying right. <laughs> the dynamics of politics and sociology and societies in the Middle East and who are we. Right. And, and so I do think that there is a very appropriate level of humility Mm. that we should come to social media with if you want to make a statement i understand at the same time i think it is also very fair and maybe not a bad idea to be explicit in that this is what i know this is what i don't know this is what i understand this is what Mm. i don't understand and so from my limited perspective this is what I see. At the same time, I don't think that we should feel like we need to give in to that pressure at all. If you don't want to make a statement, I think it's okay. It has been shown through research that social media is actually not an effective tool. I think our hope in the beginning, right, especially when Facebook and Twitter first came out, there was this sense of, Oh, my goodness, what a powerful tool for organizing people, for spreading the word. And there are contexts and specific instances in which maybe that has been helpful. But overall, Mm -hmm. social media is actually not at all an effective tool for changing people's minds. For mobilizing people it has this sort of very short-term effect right there's this Mm. kind of burst of everybody changing their profile photos or (laughs) you know everyone tweeting or retweeting right this one thing and then it's just Mm. gone by by the next news cycle it's gone and social change does not happen in 24 hours or over a weekend or over a week Right. And so if you care deeply about the kind of justice that we've been talking about, about people being able to live with dignity and opportunity and equality, you really want to be in it for the long run. And being in it for the long run is kind of almost the polar opposite of what it means to be on social media. So I think it's fine to have a presence on social media. I think there are people who are using social media in really totally. positive, wonderful ways affirming, and encouraging ways. There are specific maybe events or movements that can use kind of the megaphone of social media to get the word out. But that's ultimately not as what is going to change our society. I want
1: to ask you specifically, if there's somebody listening right now who's more quiet, sensitive, introverted, and they're like, I absolutely have these values and I absolutely want human flourishing and dignity in my community, but I don't know how to start. What is like Mm -hmm. one thing or two things that somebody listening who says, I want to lend my voice or my dollars to make impact or change in my community, but I have no idea how to start. Where should they start?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Well, first off, I will say that if you are that person, you and I will probably be great friends because that's very much me as well. And we absolutely need more Mm. sensitive people, I feel like, involved in social activism, involved in social justice, I do feel like the space is very dominated by these mm. angry voices right now. And there needs to be more of a counterbalance of, you know, let's find kinder, gentler, more humane approaches to how we uh, we try to influence change in positive ways. So please listen to that voice. Please be willing to consider and ask the question like you are of how do I get involved? I would say that for one thing, you do not have to be on social media. You do not have to do protests and marches. Don't feel that pressure that you have to do that unless you want to. Secondly, just know that there are dozens, probably more than dozens of ways that you can participate in really meaningful activism that fits your temperament and personality. Um, So you can even just look around where you already are. Right? Who is in your neighborhood? Who is in your friendship circle? Who's in your circle of influence, your workplace, your school, wherever you're at? And are there things happening in your local communities that you're interested in, that you want to get involved in? And it's a perfectly appropriate place to just start with, I want to learn, I want to talk to people. I want to read books. I want to listen to podcasts. I'm going to understand better what's going on. And then also what I encourage people, I think there's a sense of, I'm not sure where this comes from, but a lot of us think like, you just got to jump in with both feet and do it all, all at once. (laughs) And it is totally fine to just dip your toe in, be like, hey, I'm going to try this one volunteer opportunity, Mm. or um, I'm going to visit this one nonprofit and see what they're doing. I'm going to talk to this one person. Um, I'm going to give one donation to this organization and, and see how that goes. Because it's not an easy question of, you know, where should I put my, my yeah. time and my money and my effort. I mean, those are really valuable gifts that you're offering. And it should be toward issues that you care about that are meaningful to you because ultimately that is what is going to sustain you and keep you in in the fight. You know, if it's something that you don't have a personal connection to, it's going to be harder to stay inspired and stay motivated. And, and so it's totally fine to experiment, to try things out, um, to try a few different things out and just see, what what feels right mm. to you what is a place or space or a community where not only do you feel like your gifts are being yes. used in a really meaningful way but you also feel like you're being restored yes. through the experience it's not just about sacrifice and pain and suffering but I think my hope, and and certainly, you know, we see this in scripture as well, is that we would find joy and that we would find life in our service and our ministry and our giving. And so, so pay attention to that. You know, if there is a place that you go in and you're serving and you are just loving it, that is a very, very good sign that you are on the right path. So good. I absolutely love that. It, when you talk about, Having the ability
1: to keep going and doing things that don't drain you. Can we talk a little bit about compassion fatigue? Yes. And what do we do with that? Because it does feel like, and I'm sure you feel this way. I know I do. There's oh, yeah. so much happening right now. Yes. All the time. Yes. it's like There's so much happening. In a lot of ways, the world starts to feel really dark if I'm not careful mm-hmm. with where I'm looking. And I feel like it's too big. And so it almost like immobilizes me where
2: I don't want to do anything because I think, well, what difference can little old me make? Yeah. What do we do with that? Yeah. Well, for one thing, I think it's remembering that none of us individually are meant to carry the weight of the world. Even collectively, we can't really carry the weight of the world, right? Remembering that we're just human. Yeah. God did not make us to carry the weight of the world. That is not our role. It is not our role to save the world, right? It is our role to be faithful wherever we've been placed. Um, So for me, I do some really specific things to help myself not be overwhelmed. So one is to actually limit my news consumption. And, um, and that may seem, um, I don't know, contrary to, to the desire, you know, there's this very high value of being an informed person. And I, I totally get that I actually love consuming news. Um so it's been a conscious choice mm. on my part of recognizing that I in my one, you know, brain, my one body, there's only so much that I can take in. I you know, none of us were wired to receive bad news 24/7. In every corner of the globe. Right. That is just not the way humanity yeah. has operated for the vast majority of our history, right? It's only been in the last right. 20 years or so that we've even had the ability to access so much news. And, and it's just, it's not good for us. And so, um, so I limit my news yeah. consumption. I do um make sure that i have some sense of what's going on so like i like to skim the headlines but i don't necessarily read all the articles like especially if i know it's about a really heavy topic it's like okay i know there's a war going yeah. on i know there are refugees i know people are really you know there's a famine and people are starving that's enough like that's enough for me to know that and to possibly act on that but it's a little too much for me to carry the weight of every individual story of every person who is suffering i also because i'm a highly sensitive person and this may not be the case for everyone but i choose to primarily read the news instead of watching it or listening to it because it hits me a little bit harder Hmm. when i see images or even when i hear voices i feel like i'm still getting the same news but just in in a way that i can absorb it a little bit better right because it doesn't help any of us if i just absorb so much that like you said, I just become paralyzed, can't do anything, right? So right. Um, so that's one thing. I also am becoming very conscientious of, you know, needing to find balance in my life, of balancing the time sitting with hard news and hard issues with things that I love, things that I enjoy, things that bring me joy, um, celebrating the beauty that's in the world, going outside, experiencing art and culture. I actually find that those elements nourish and strengthen my ability to want to make this world a better place. Right. When you see the beauty mm-hmm. that does exist, it's like, oh, I want everybody to be able to experience this, right? Yes. And and I want everyone to be able to experience joy. And so it that becomes my fuel for what keeps me going. And also just to know that it's okay to take breaks to sometimes step in and out of the work of justice. One of the most encouraging things I found when I was doing research for my book. So I, I looked at more than a hundred different activists, um, primarily in history and then a few modern day folks and, um, and found that it was actually a very typical pattern for social activists to do something, be involved for a little bit, and then take a break. And then they would do something, be involved, hmm. take a break. We see this in Jesus' ministry, right? That that he yeah. would preach to the crowds, he would do his healings, and then he would withdraw. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think Gandhi is a great example of this. Gandhi is someone who probably was highly sensitive. He would do these major social actions, you know, a march, a fast, and in between There would be months where he would just be quiet he would Hmm. withdraw to his ashram he would meditate he would pray he would be with friends and and just be quiet and reflect and think and i actually think that that's a really really healthy rhythm i think that's another risk of social media is is this push to like always be saying something, always be doing something, always be showing that you're caring every single day. Um, And that's just unrealistic. That takes too much out of you. Um, You want to save that energy for other things. And the last thing I'll say is just another really encouraging thing that I found through my research is that social activism is not just about the big actions the big protests, the big march, the big press conference, those Mm. are valuable. They have their place. But what sustains social movements are the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of smaller actions that lots of people take over time. So Adam Grant, the organizational psychologist, he did this survey of over 500 studies of people who sat down, individuals who sat down and had a one-on-one face-to-face conversation with another person. So this is not over social media, right? This face-to-face and the conversation was with somebody that they didn't know and somebody who was different from them. And it was not about trying to convince them of something, not about debating, right? Not about winning the argument. It was simply about getting to know the other person as a fellow human being. And across those 500 studies, he found that bias and prejudice were reduced 94% of the time. Simply by having a face-to-face friendly conversation with somebody that you don't know. And so there's real power in that relational connection, in that willingness to see the other person as a fellow human, that what matters less is what we disagree about, and what matters more is our commonalities and how we can see one another and hear one another. And that is incredibly effective. I actually don't know of any other kind of social activism that has that high of a rate. Of change as these one-on-one conversations. Right. So good.
1: Dorcas Chang Tozen is the author of Social Justice for the Sensitive Soul. It is out. You can get this book wherever books are sold. Dorcas, our show is called Viral Jesus. What do you think it means to be a Christian when we are online? I think it means
2: to be a kind and gentle and loving presence, which It's hard. There's a lot pushing back on Mm. that. And yet to be somebody who is distinct online is to be someone who is consistently kind and gentle and clear about who they are, you know, rooted in their identity in, in Christ and as a child of God and not you know, pushed mm-hmm. and buffeted around by by all of the waves of the noise um, and the movement that's around them.
1: Dorcas Chang Tozen is the author of Social Justice for the Sensitive Soul. You can get that book wherever books are sold. Dorcas, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you, Heather.
1: So, what did we learn from our conversation with Dorcas Chang Tozen? Number one, when communicating with people about your Christian ideals toward justice. The goal is to open up conversation, not shut it down. Because of that, how we communicate in those dialogues matters. Number two, 20 to 30% of people are classified as highly sensitive people. So that means that while these people are processing things and and they, they tend to feel things on a deeper level, And so when interacting with others, especially on conversations as big as justice for vulnerable populations, you can imagine that these can create tense emotions over the different ways maybe that we enact that justice or the different ways that we can advocate for people. And I think it's important for highly sensitive people to know that The intense emotion in those spaces is not necessarily directed towards them. It is passion for the work. And we all belong in this space as Christians together. And I think communicators who maybe are more intense or more direct, they need to remember that there are highly sensitive people and we have to keep them in mind as we navigate how to have crucial conversations. Number three, I wanna challenge you to do something for your community at some point this holiday season. And this is one of the reasons that I actually, I do still really value and love the local church because I am just of the belief that it doesn't matter whether you're conservative or liberal, the local church is often a place where people are trying to aid the vulnerable in their communities. And so just call up a local church, call up your local church. And if if you're thinking right now, Heather, I haven't been to church in like two years, find a place in your neighborhood and ask them because I promise you most churches are involved in trying to help the vulnerable in their communities. And so this holiday season, my challenge to you is to find a way that you can serve one of those local churches as they try to serve their community this holiday season. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson-Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. We are going to be on a break, remember, for the rest of November, but don't forget, I'll see you again on Monday for the rest of 2023. I'll see you every single Monday, and I'll share a little devotional with you. It will always be under 10 minutes. So you can listen while you go to work or drop the kids at school. But my hope is that it just helps you face your week in faith. I'll see you in two weeks for another conversation where a Viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus.
0: This episode was brought to you in part by Wheaton College's MA in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership, which prepares Christian professionals to serve others faithfully and excellently. Called to help people facing disasters, human trafficking, poverty, or displacement as refugees? Visit wheaton.edu hdl.